Welcome everybody that's here uh, and those that are joining us online. Uh, we're going to get right into the Word today. Today we're going to be in Ephesians 4, uh, 17 um, through um, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And so here's what I want you to hear. And, you know, the Holy Spirit always has His means and methods, so if He speaks something else to you, that's good. But this is my intention for you to walk away from today. What you do and say matters to God. I'm not sure if anyone in this room would argue with me about that statement. Uh, Most of us have been on the giving and receiving end of that truth. We have been hurt because of others' words and actions. Most of us have been shaped by it. Some of the personality traits that you have, some of the um, anxiety that you have, some of the issues that you have, if I can just be blunt, uh, are caused by people in our life that have, without regard to us or to God, have spoken things to us and over us that have shaped and molded us who we are. I mean, I, I... have lots of things from middle school that I would love to say, you know, the reality of sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. Words hurt. They shape us. I mean, the way I think about myself at 44 is shaped by some words that were spoken to me when I was a um, teenager, a 12-year-old or a 13-year-old. I'll just leave those names that I was called. Some of you already know them. I don't want to be poked in the belly later and hope that I giggle, um, if that gives you an indication of <laughs> what I was shaped by. Maybe that's why I get up five days a week at 4.15 in the morning. I don't know. Maybe. We can, we can sit on the couch later and talk about that. Uh, but our, our lives are a reflection of the reality that we've lived in and the other people's words and actions. So this morning is, what do we do with this? On both ends of things that have been spoken to us and over us and things that we've spoken to other people and over people, over other people. This morning, Paul, um, out of Ephesians 4, is not only going to deal with that question, but he's going to, in my opinion, give you a protocol for us as children of God to walk in. And so you can either choose to listen Um, or not. That's up to you. So let's pray. Lord, your word instructs better than mine. And so, Lord, as we read your word that was breathed in to Paul to be recorded to the church in Ephesus, I pray that we would listen. Lord, clear our minds and our hearts this morning that we would hear that we would take conviction and allow that conviction to move us to action, to move us to change, to let our lives be a reflection of what God is constantly doing in us as we humble ourselves, as we surrender to Him, and as we walk out our lives as a reflection of who He is to us and in us. So let us see and understand what you have for us today in your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'd like to give a little overview of uh, books as we've gone through um, different sections in First and Second Corinthians uh, and in Galatians. And you're like, man, this Paul guy writes a lot. 
well, he does write a lot because he was in jail a lot. Um, I don't think he would have written. I don't honestly believe that we would have a pretty good chunk of our New Testament if Paul wasn't imprisoned um, because I don't think he would have slowed down long enough to write anything. He would have gone and he would have spoke um, and we wouldn't have these words today. And so um, there's purpose in prison. I just want to say that. I don't know what that means to those in the room, but there was for Paul. So the book of Ephesians was written by Paul while he was in prison. Ephesus was a large city and was the epicenter of worship for the Greek and Roman gods. It was This book is broken into two parts. The first part is chapters 1 through 3, which Paul um, retells the gospel story and explains God is expanding his covenant community to include the Gentiles. And that family is growing. He talks about what it means to be in that family, how you get in that family, and what Jesus has done for us through the cross. And you see that through chapters 1 through 3. Chapters 4 through 6 was the second part of this book, and it is literally, and you'll see it in what we talk about today, is that it is the response. So if chapters 1 through 3, the gospel, is true, and if we've been invited into this family um, to live in um, relationship with our Savior, in a community of other believers, our response should be this. And so today we're going to look... Um, at Ephesians, uh, starting in chapter 4, verse 17 through 32, and then we're going to do two verses in um, chapter 5. So we're just going to jump in. If you've got your Bibles, uh, open them up. If you don't, um, the word will be on, you, on the screen behind me. So here's where it starts. And the first section I'm going to read through kind of um, fast, uh, 17 through 21, partially because it sounds very familiar to what we were in last week in Galatians. And then I'll explain that a little bit. But so, starting in verse 17, it says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. And remember, he's speaking this in the epicenter of their Greek and Roman God. Like this city is well known for their religious power. And he's saying, do not any longer walk in this darkness that's here. It says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. Sound familiar from last week? Those that walk in the flesh, this is what they come from, come out, what comes out of that. And that's what Paul's saying here. And then in verse 20, it turns. It says, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. Because remember, he just went through the gospel with them again in the beginning of chapters 1 through 3. Assuming, this is a good point, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. He's basically saying, have you heard? Have you learned? Because... What he's getting ready to jump into is not just something for everyone that you should do. He's, he turns this corner and says, this is the truth that we've received. And if we've received it, if we've learned it from the teaching uh, about who Christ is, then our life should reflect that. And so then in 
22, he tells them to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt without which and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What comes out of our mouth, and this is why it says here to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, what comes out of our mouth starts in our minds and our hearts. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We cannot just determine to think, I'm just not going to say the things that I have been saying. We have to change something internally. And what you see here is this two action. One is of subtraction and one is addition. You have to put off to put on. In verse 25, it says, therefore, having put off falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. See, the addition, the putting on leads to action. When Paul says that if you've learned it, assuming that you've heard and were taught in him as the truth is in Christ, there should be an action. There should be a taking off There should be a putting on. This change is visible in our attitudes and actions, which we're going to see in just a second. In verse 26, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. This, if you've been married for a while, if you've ever been to counseling, if you've ever heard a marriage sermon, you've heard uh, the pastor or the counselor say, if you have an argument, you need to deal with it. Sitting on things is not helpful. It does not just disappear. As we see in our, my own understanding of who I am right now, those things, those words didn't just disappear. So a couple things to hear in this. Let me give you James 1 verse 19. It says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. There's a reason why, and I've heard this a lot, there's a reason why God gave you two ears and one mouth. You should listen. Husbands, we're hard-headed. Listen. Make it a practice to close your mouth more. That's for free. Y'all can pay me later. Wives, you're welcome. My wife is like, you should take your own advice. <laughs> She's thankfully right outside the door. Uh, uh, but that, that's the reality. See, what he's talking about here is it's, it, there is no issue with us having anger. Let me explain that. Some of you are like, yes, pastor just said I can be angry. Let me just tell you that 99.9% of our anger is not righteous. It is not good. It is not helpful. There were times when Jesus physically, verbally, got angry right in, in a righteous anger about what the people were doing with his temple, what people were, the hardness of heart of the Pharisees. He would, he would say these things, but there was a good end to that. On us, 99% of the time, our anger isn't going to result in anything but pain and destruction on our end or someone else's. It just isn't. 
And what he's saying here is, is do not let the sun go down on your anger. He's saying, do not let that sit. It was a time period because I was reading one commentary and it was like, well, what do you do if you're from Alaska? And Alaska has, you know, day for like three months. Like I'm moving there so I can be angry for three months. The, the scripture says, don't let the, the sun hang go down in three months. So I'm good. Now, what, the, the, what it's teaching here is that there's a, t- a short time span that you need to properly deal with what's going on. Repent. Acknowledge. Bring peace to that. See, only a rare occasion is our anger righteous, and even then it is not meant to linger. And you know why it's not meant to linger? It continues in verse 17. And we've, sorry, 27. This is why. So why don't you let sin linger? Because in verse 27, and give no opportunity for the devil. I would say the mass majority of marriages end because of unresolved conflict. I don't know what that percentage is. I'd probably say all of it. It's unresolved conflict. It, it's something has happened and we've not dealt with it and we've passed on to something else and we've not dealt with it and we've passed on to something else and we've not dealt with it and, and it gives the devil an opportunity to convince you that the other person hates you. I, I love love and respect. The, the, the small group, it, it, the, literally there's a book, if you've never heard of it, you should read it, you should watch the videos. I mean, because like the, the one primary thing that it talks about is that mo- 90% of the time, the person that you're married to has your best interest. They love you. Like, but we don't start at that place of going, you know, when my wife corrects me, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of that. But I need it. I know I need it. In the moment, I don't like it. But usually when I act out improperly, it's because I think she hates me. Because she would only hate me because she's doing that. Like, this is proof that she hates me. Which, the truth is, she loves me. She loves me so much that she's not going to tolerate for me to stay in that place. So she tells me. So if I would just know that she loves me, and then if I could slow my brain down enough, like, she loves me. Let me filter through her words through that reality. She loves okay, so this is for my benefit. See, when we don't do that, when we let that it sit there, it builds, and we let our self-talk, we let the enemy come in and tell us lies about the other person. Because our anger will almost always lead to broken relationships, pain, and destructions. And you're going to see a corner turn here in verse 28. So he's saying, hey, look, if this has happened in you, if you're following Jesus, something should change. And then he gives a great illustration of something that is completely changed in verse 28. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. See, this is the difference between the old man and the new man. This is the difference between what we put off and what we put on. And you're like, man, 
It, it kind of comes out of the, I mean, like the thief. But here, here's why I think this is here. There's nothing more different in a story arc than someone that stole. His primary purpose was to take from someone else at the cost of them. That's what his job was. A thief steals from someone else to benefit himself, period. Now, he may have good reason for doing that. His family starved, whatever. We're not getting into the psychology of it. But what he was doing before was self-centered and all for him. And so the example here that he's talking about in the gospel and what the gospel does to you, it changes a thief into a person that works with his own hands and not just to, so I don't have to steal anymore. Because look what it says. That person didn't just get a job so that he can make money, so that he can support himself, but it says here that he may have something to share with anyone in need. How diametrically different is it to be a thief that steals, takes from another person, to be a person that works with his own hands, sweat and toil, especially when that was your life before, when you didn't do anything but take. Now you're working, and not only you're working, but you're giving what you're doing in that labor to someone else. Like this is what the gospel does to us. It changes us. And then verse 29, uh, and I'll talk a little bit about this. Let me read it first. Verse 29, which if you don't take any verses out of here, just keep 29 in your pocket. Write it down. Look at it. Read it a couple of times this week. Verse 29, it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Your words matter. Sons and daughters of the King of the Most High, the King of Majesty that we just sang, your words matter. When I was a youth pastor, I had this core group of kids. And I don't know how we got to this. But, you know, teenagers, they just joke. They're constantly picking and teasing. And, and most of it's harmless. Most of it's, you know, like just for fun. And it is fun until you're on the receiving end of it. And you don't understand what those words are doing to the other person. So we had a group, guys and girls. I, I dealt with the, the guys, the girls, they did, they did side bends, I think. Uh, but the guys, so we had a group of guys that committed to this verse. And so our practical application of this verse is that if any in our circle or those that knew about our circle called us or caught us doing this, the opposite of this, speaking about not building someone up, they would call you on it and you would have to get and get down on the ground and do 10 push-ups right then at school, at youth group at Walmart, wherever, and it became the game. They were just waiting for them to say, I think sometimes they honestly did dumb things in front of them, like, what you going to say? And there were so many push-ups that happened over this period of time um, because we practically wanted to see it, and it changed the culture of our little group. Because when you knew that someone was going to go, hey, that, that wasn't nice. Like, that did not build me up. 
And it wasn't spiteful. It wasn't like we're just looking at the nitpicky things that you said, like, hey, your shirt's untucked. Oh, that's 10 push-ups. This was like literally, you know, trying to be destructive because we understand, like Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Your tongue has the power to bring life to someone or death. And the problem with most of us is we very rarely intend to bring death. Like that's, I would say there's not many people in this room or any person in this room that has a heart to just destroy people. But when, when we aren't doing well or when we feel bad or when something's happened to us, it, it pours out on other people. But when we understand that what we do and say matters to God, and not that if we do it correctly in 100% that we get an automatic ticket to heaven, but out of the grace that he's poured into us, we want to pour this out to other people. In verse 30, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. And just in case anybody's forgot here, the day you surrender to Jesus, He puts a a, a deposit guaranteeing you, which is the Holy Spirit. And I know this is a kind of cliche, but literally... Everything you say or do is not outside of the realm of what he's a part of. He hears it. He sees it. And we have one job as children of the king. And that job is to build his kingdom. To encourage others, to point them to Jesus, the Savior. And our poor and reckless treatment of people will slow that down. Period. I mean, there's lots of things that grieving the Holy Spirit could mean, but where I think the text, or one of the things I think the text is saying, is we're, we're impeding the work that God has intended for us to do by our careless and reckless words. Verse 31, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. I love that he puts this after he's already said this. I think this is a continual work. This isn't something you do today, but like, oh, Lord, I commit my tongue to you and I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do good. This is something we're going to have to constantly be vigilant in how we're using our words. How we're talking to other people. In verse 32 it says, Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And the Greek word used for forgiving implies not only forgiving, but doing it with a gracious attitude. Not just like, oh, Jesus died on the cross for me, so I've got to forgive you. Remember Jesus in his own words in Matthew 18:35 after telling them 
this story, he tells them this is, if you don't respond correctly, this is it. In verse 35 it says, and so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you. This is where they threw out the one, the unforgiving servant. Where he was forgiven much and then he went out and got angry and threw someone in jail that owed pennies compared to his great debt. So also will your heavenly father do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And for all of those that grew up in traditional churches that quoted the Lord's Prayer. And we I've taught on it here. We would say it all the time. For, forgive our debts as we have forgiven others. Whatever translation y'all use then. Forgive us like we've forgiven others. And so he tells us this thing that I think is very difficult. It is very difficult in our culture, in our world, to love people without being intentional about it. Specifically, right now. The closer we get to election day, the more opinionated people will get. And let me just tell you, and I know I've said this a lot, I think you should vote because it's your right to. But there aren't political parties in heaven. And there will be people on both sides worshiping the Savior in heaven for eternity. And there are some of those people that are opposed to things that we think and believe that are future children of the King. We have to be very, very cautious on how we treat other people. Because of how they think right now. Because it slows our ability to speak the gospel when we on other things have taken such a harsh, angry stance towards people. And I'm not talking, I'm not, here, don't hear me and go, Heath doesn't want us to be political. Heath doesn't want us to stand for things that are right. You stand to your convictions, but remember that there's people behind others' convictions. Those, those are still people. And you know who Jesus died for on the cross? People. People that were far from Him. People that murdered Him. People that didn't want Him are the ones that we're after. That's what the Gentiles were. When he went to the lady at the well, that's what he was doing. He was going to those that were isolated and separated. And one day God's going to come, return, and those are going to worship. And it is our job to get as many of those people to willingly bend a knee to Jesus. And so here's what he says to do. How do we do this? How do we walk this out? And last week was a great, if you didn't, weren't here last week, it's online, um, that being in step with the Spirit, like if, we're, if we want to see the fruits of the Spirit come in our life, we have to be in step with God. Being in step with the flesh gets us things that are going to hurt us and others. And this is what he says in Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. 
Be imitators in verses that some people don't like because it says wives submit to husbands. Earlier in the same book, he also says husbands give your life like imitate me. And Jesus gave his life up for his bride. He loved his bride. So he's saying here, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. If we're going to change the way our words come out of our mouth, we have to change the way our hearts are submitted and surrendered to a power that is greater than us. We don't have the power. We do not have the power to change our words when it gets uncomfortable, when it gets unpleasant, when we get angry without the movement of the Holy Spirit in our life. So here's a couple things I want to throw at you to stir um, some response at the end. Going back to my one thing, your words and actions matter. Now, not later, today. Do you know that your words and actions matter? Do you care that your words and actions matter? If you are a child of God, you should. It's time to put off and to put on. I don't know why over the last two weeks I've felt a strong push, probably because we should probably be here every week, of this confession and repentance. There's people in this room, there's people that are listening to us right now that your world has been shaped wrongly because of what other people's people have spoke to you, over you, about you. And it's time to confess and repent of what you've allowed those words to do and, and release them to the one who created you, the one who loves you, the one who wants to bring peace and joy to your life. Don't let words of someone else that doesn't even probably remember that they spoke that words rule you. Give it to Jesus. And probably the harder sell is there some of you in this room that here recently you've used words that have hurt people. And while I've been talking over the last 30 minutes, some of that is right on the level of your subconscious. You can feel it. You can feel the uncomfortable of something you said to a significant other, something you said to a friend or an acquaintance. And I am an incur- going to encourage you to confess it and repent it first to Jesus. Clean that spot. And then the difficult part of that is go make it right. If you've been convicted by something, words that you've said to someone, and you know they were painful to them, get spend some time, put on work, whatever you've got to do to get your heart settled into what Jesus has done for you, and then humbly go confess and repent to that person. Bring restoration. 
Could you imagine what our marriage relationships in this church and those watching us online right now, what they would be like if we didn't tolerate tension, if we didn't tolerate this underlying aggravation with the other, but we spoke truth in love and brought restoration to that. It would change us. That's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you, just like he said in Ephesians 5, is to be imitators of God as beloved children, to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offer and sacrifice. Allow his example of going to the cross be your example for what you do in response to what you know you shouldn't have said or done. Fix it. And this is the most difficult part. They may not receive it. They may, in very angry words, tell you things that want to have you respond in another way that you've got to repent of later. Prepare yourself for that. Take it humbly. Jesus, and I know we're not Jesus, but Jesus let his creation torture, abuse, punch, spit on, shove a crown of thorns. He stood before Pilate and said nothing. Because he was willing to take one for us. Let us, as a church, change the way we think about what our words mean. And that means all of our words, not just the ones that we physically set out of our mouth, but the words that we've typed on private profiles that no one knows is you. If you're not man or woman enough to attach your name to it and you write stuff that you know you shouldn't write stuff about, delete it. Period. I don't know who that's for, but... (laughs) Sorry. Um, I'm going to invite our worship team up. We're going um, to worship... We're going to sing to Jesus. We're going to proclaim. And you know what will make that worship taste better, feel better? Is a repentant heart that is ready to move in action to what the Spirit is speaking. So I encourage you as we worship, stay seated if you need. Take a knee if you need. um, Sing as loud as you want. Raise your hands. Do whatever you need during this moment. To respond to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we've tried to change ourselves. We've tried to change our marriages. We've tried to change the way we interact with people. And Lord, we declare our inability. We declare our need for you. So Lord, as we humbly ask you to intercede for us as as we're convicted and moved to acting on that conviction by repenting to someone for our words. Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace and peace to follow your lead as we love people. Lord, I pray that the, the movement of the gospel and the movement of your kingdom advancement would increase as we take our words and our actions serious on how they reflect you, our Master. Lord, we are your beloved because of your actions. 
help us be imitators of you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.